Welcome to Our Weird World. I am your host, John Henson, and uh, going for season two. Season two? Year two. Whatever they do in podcasts. I don't know. It's episode 53, which means we have done a full year, or we're starting our second full year. Hopefully we'll have a couple more years of this. I will run out of stories eventually, but uh, we'll, we'll keep going for as long as I can. I feel like doing this, to be honest. Um, if you notice that it sounds different, I don't know if it will or not, but uh, it's because I'm using some different equipment. Uh, the, the microphone is the same, but I am now on a PC instead of a Mac and using a different recording software, and that you know might change things. Um, and you're probably asking, well, why would you downgrade like that? Which is exactly how you should phrase that question. And uh, it's because I recorded the first 52 episodes of this show during the three months that we were quarantined. Um, so, you know, I worked ahead a little bit basically. And, um, I had my work computer at my house and, um, just used that because it was mostly convenient to do so. And it was a lot better quality, I think. So, but we'll see how this goes. Um, if it sucks, I'll have to figure something else out. But for now, we're going to, we're going to go with this and we're going to start season two with uh, stories of early Christian martyrs. Um, A lot of these characters from the early church are super interesting, have crazy stories uh, that are probably not actually true, but you can't tell that to Catholics because they like to believe some crazy stuff already. Um, So we're going to look at uh, the stories of Dennis, uh, George, Theodosia, Edmund, and Ebby, Abby, E-B, A-B, something like that. I don't know. I can't. I can't pronounce it. Let's just jump into it. Story time. We'll start with the story of St. Dennis, uh, he was a Christian missionary who was sent from his home in Italy to the Gauls near modern-day Paris uh, in the 3rd century to convert them to Christianity. Now, at the time, the Gauls practiced a form of paganism, but Dennis and six other bishops were totally set to change all of that. Um, By the time that Dennis arrived, uh, the Romans had already conquered the region, and Emperor Decius wasted no time in eradicating all the progress that earlier missionaries had made in the area by basically outlawing Christianity. Um, Unfortunately for Decius, uh, Dennis was so great at being a missionary that pagan priests in Paris started losing hordes of followers. Uh, The Roman governor there in Paris, under the direction of Decius, swooped in and sent Dennis and his companions to prison. But after sitting in prison for a while, Dennis and and two of his clergy members were then sentenced to death by beheading. Uh, The group was quickly marched over to the highest hill in Paris, which was the site of a former Druidic holy place now known as Montmartre, probably. I don't know. It's kind of a French accent. Um, And everything basically went to plan. The executioner raised his sword and promptly just lopped off Dennis's head. And that's the end of the story. On to the next one. Uh, No, just kidding. Uh, There is actually a little bit more. Uh, After Dennis's head hit the ground, uh, Dennis then reached down, picked his severed head off of the ground, and just started walking back to Paris. 
Um, he walked several miles and was somehow preaching a sermon the entire way before he finally, finally collapsed and died in the city. And the place where he died was initially marked by a shrine, a shrine, but eventually became the St. Denis Basilica, uh, where, uh, a lot of French Kings ended up being buried. Now, um, did that actually happen? You know, did someone get beheaded and then pick up their own head and walk several miles uh, talking along the way? Seems unlikely, you know, um, because, you know, you need air. You need to be able to breathe. Um, your vocal cords are also kind of in that area that, that would have gotten chopped off. Uh, so, you know, seems improbable, but a lot of people believe it actually happened because uh, apparently... Uh, sometime after like year 1000, uh, crazy, fun, fantastical stuff like this just stopped happening. Apparently this was just happening all the time before then. Anyway, um, it's very, I'm very cynical, uh, this episode for some reason. Uh, next we'll talk about St. George. Um, George was a member of the Praetorian Guard under Diocletian and, uh, the Praetorian Guard's basically like SEAL Team 6 of the Roman army. They were like the best of the best, um, hot, you know, one of the highest, you know, factions of, of the Roman military. Um, <clears throat> the problem with George's story is that there are two primary accounts, a Greek and a Latin version, and both give kind of different details about his life. Um, the only legend that is absolutely 100% attributable to George came from a collection of biographies of saints that was compiled by Blessed Jacobus de Veragine in 1260. And uh, the story begins in the town of Selene in Libya, in, in northern Africa. Uh, Selene, at the time, was tormented by a venom-spewing dragon, of course, uh, that, that lived in a pond outside of town. Uh, the dragon would spit all over the countryside, poisoning the crops and just making life miserable for everyone around. Um, <clears throat> but to make sure the dragon didn't harm the city, the townspeople offered it two sheep as a sacrifice every single day. Um, the dragon, though, eventually got tired of that. And so the people started offering a sheep and a man. And then the people began offering their children, which was chosen by a weird kind of sad lottery system. Um one day, the king's daughter won the lottery, or probably lost in, in this case, um, and the king tried to give all of his gold and silver to the people in order to spare her, but they refused. And reluctantly, the king dressed his daughter as a bride and then sent her out to be sacrificed to the dragon. But miraculously, just so happened, that's when George arrived on the scene. Um <laughs> The, the king's daughter tried to prevent George from intervening, but George wasn't about to let a little girl get eaten by a dragon. Um, he made the sign of the cross, you know, the little, you know, uh, I guess kind of like the, the old Sammy Sosa thing, like across the chest probably is how I kind of envision it. Um, he made the sign of the cross and then charged towards the dragon on the horse, on his horse, uh, and stabbing the dragon with his lance. Uh, George then yelled to the girl to throw him over the girdle, which he then tied around or throw him over her. Wait, hang on. He yelled to the girl to throw him her girdle. Sorry. I, why is a tiny daughter wearing a girdle? I don't know. What is a girdle? I don't know. I Look, I'm just reading a story, and I didn't do a lot of research on this. If you know what a girdle is, great. You have a better image in your head than I do. Anyway, I'm going to keep going. Um George tied this little do little girl's girdle around the dragon's neck, but rather than choking the dragon to death, which is probably what you were expecting to happen, uh, the dragon treated the girdle like a leash and became the girl's obedient pet. Um, 
George and the girl then led the dragon back to the town, which horrified everyone. But to ease their fears, George promised to kill the dragon in exchange for everyone converting to Christianity because, I mean, that's what Jesus would have done, you guys. Like, you know, it's like, hey, you all become my worshipers or and I'll kill this dragon for you or I'll just let the dragon kill you all. I am Jesus. <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, by the end of that day, obviously the townspeople took him up on the offer. And by the end of that day, 15,000 men, including the king, converted. Um, apparently the women and children didn't matter in the statistics. Uh, George then decapitated the dragon and had the carcass carried out by four ox carts. Um, as a show of gratitude, the king built a church and dedicated it to both George and Blessed Virgin Mary on the site where the dragon was killed. Uh, when the church was completed, a spring began flowing from the altar that cured every disease, because of course it did. Um, and then seeing that his work was done, George returned to Rome, where he was immediately beheaded by Diocletian uh, or Decius, depending on which version that you read. Uh, George was, you know, after he died, George was so popular that even Muslims claimed him as an early prophet, um, <clears throat> which is, you know, a good reminder that Islam and Christianity are very similar religions. Um, but anyway, uh, uh, according to the Islam side of the story, George was killed three times by Diocletian, but came back to life each time. Uh, one Persian scholar wrote that George resurrected the dead and made stone pillars blossom with flowers. Uh, following each of his three deaths, the world went completely dark until he came back to life. Uh, eventually, George just got so tired of being killed by the Roman emperor that he just asked God to let him die once and for all. And so he did. Again. Sure he did. Um, I, yeah. Anyway, uh, next uh, is the story of Theodosia of Constantinople. Um, this happened around uh, year seven hundred in the eighth century, uh, and Theodosia was a nun who lived in a monastery, uh, like I said, in Constantinople. On January nineteenth, seven twenty nine, Emperor Leo the Third decided that any Christian images or icons were actually completely unholy and a direct violation of the Eastern Church. And this whole event was known as the first iconoclasm, um, basically where early Christian leaders decided that any kind of image of Jesus or Mary or whoever um, was actually like, you shouldn't do that. You know, they kind of went full Islam and was like, no images, you can't worship them, nothing. And so uh, because of that, an icon of Jesus that stood over the main entrance at the Imperial Palace needed to be removed. Um, It was a simple task. You know, no one in the Imperial Court figured that it would be a big deal to remove it. But when an officer went to take the icon down, a group of nuns led by Theodosius stood in his way. Uh, the officer kindly pushed his way through and climbed a ladder to retrieve the icon, and Theodosia was not having it, uh, mainly because her family had commissioned the icon to begin with. It was kind of their thing, and they were really proud of it. So she began shaking the ladder until the officer lost balance and fell to his death. Uh, Theodosia was quickly arrested and brought to the form of the ox, which was a public square in Constantinople that was used for torture and executions. Uh, after a quick trial, she had a ram's horn hammered through her throat, which sounds painful. Um, and that's how she died. Um, when the first iconoclasm ended, Theodosia's body was taken and placed in the church of Hagia Euphemia in Dupetrio. Whatever that is. It's a church. I know that, but... Big, big name. Anyway, I man, I like 
I don't know. Maybe I'm shaking the rust off, but I just, I feel like I am, <laughs> I'm going through these stories and I'm like, this is so stupid. This is a dumb story. People are dumb for believing this, but that's just rude. And, you know, maybe you believe in this. And if you do, that's fine. We're all, we're all in this together. And if you believe in dumb stuff like this, more power to you. Um, next one is, uh, Edmund the Martyr, uh, and uh, Edmund was the king of East Anglia, which was a region on the eastern side of the British island back before, um, you know, British and English people as we know them today were kind of around. It was a lot of pagan cultures. Um, but thanks to the Vikings who came in and pretty much just destroyed everything, little is known about Edmund's life and his rule as king. And instead, we kind of pick up his story at the end. Uh, in 869, Vikings led by Ivor the Boneless, which is a pretty sweet Viking name. Um, but in reality, Ivar had like this random rare bone condition that really made it difficult for him to stand. He had like brittle bones or whatever. Um, but Ivar the Boneless invaded East Anglia and began slaughtering everyone in sight. Um, Ivar demanded that Edmund then submit to his rule. And when Edmund refused, the Vikings tied him to a tree and beat him with iron rods. But Edmund not only continued to refuse to recognize Ivar, but he continued to profess, profess his Christian faith, which is admirable in a way. Um, Ivar commanded his soldiers to then throw spears at Edmund until he looked like he had, quote, the bristles of a hedgehog, which is a lot. It's a lot of, lot of, lot of spears. Um, somehow that wasn't enough to kill him, so Ivar walked over and chopped off Edmund's head. And then as an additional show of disrespect, Ivar ordered the Vikings to take Edmund's head and hide it so the Anglians couldn't bury it with his body. Um, <laughs> where are you now, friend? That's, you know, Edmund's followers were calling out uh, as they searched for his head. And then, you know, because if the story of Dennis wasn't ridiculous enough, Edmund's head, his severed head, shouted, here, here, here. That's probably not what he sounded like. Here, here, I'm here. I, I don't know. I don't know. They probably didn't have British accents then. Whatever. Anyway, basically his severed head was talking to people so that they could find him and reattach it to his body, um, which they did, and it allowed Edmund to die in peace. So, you know, there's that. Uh, the final story here is that of um, Ebby the Younger. I think it's Ebby. It's like this weird A-E combined letter. Um, A-E-B-B-E. I think it's Ebby. Eb, Eb, Ebby, Ebby the, I don't know, man. I'm just going to say Ebby and move on. Um, Ebby, Ebby the Younger, I, this, I may just, you know what? I don't, I don't redo a lot of episodes, but I may redo that. You know, you know what? No, screw it. We're going to keep it in. We're just going to leave this as is. This is just going to be a bad episode. I feel bad that you're listening to it and I'm sorry. And maybe next week's episode will be better. Maybe it won't. I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> Ebby the Younger was the head nun at Coldingham Priory, which was a monastery along the southeast coast of Scotland. And in 870, uh, which a year after they had, you know, killed Edmund the Martyr, uh, the Vikings then arrived and began ransacking the monastery. And once the Vikings had finished their pillaging, they then turned to the raping portion of the exercise because raping and pillaging just kind of go together. Um, however, uh, you know, Obviously, nuns are of the belief that they should be virgins for life, and being raped would throw a serious wrench into that life plan. But you know what? The nuns had a plan in place to prevent themselves from being raped because they kind of knew it was coming. Um, 
But rather than use something practical like an ironclad chastity belt that required a key that the nuns had conveniently misplaced, uh, the nuns instead performed what is lovingly referred to as sacrificial mutilation. Um, Go ahead and start thinking about what that might look like, Um, (laughs) because it's not great. Uh, When the Vikings invaded Coldingham, Ebby stepped forward and faced her attackers. And in order to save the virginity of the rest of the convent, which, I mean, you know, look, I'm sure God would have totally understood if they'd all gotten raped. You know, it's not like it's not like God was standing up at heaven and the nun showed up and he's like, "Mm, no, I can't let you guys in. You had a penis in you and, you know, rules, (laughs) rules are rules. I, (laughs) I don't make the rules. Actually, I do make the rules. I'm God. I'm crazy. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but Ebby stood in front of her attackers, drew her knife, and then cut off her nose. And look, you know, I'm all for body positivity and celebrating the differences that we all have in our physical appearances. But uh, not going to lie, you know, a, a girl chopping off her nose, it's going to knock her down a few. Uh, you know, I just like, you know, I could think, you know, you're the most beautiful person in the world, but then you chop off your nose, you know, you get a little Michael Jackson kind of face going. And, uh, yeah, I'm just, I, I'm not going to be as interested if, if at all at that point. Um, and as normal people, I think that's what Abby, the younger would have expected, but these were Vikings and they weren't really interested in nasal sex anyway. Um, and, and Abby knew this. And so after cutting off her nose, she kept going. She ran the blade down to her upper lip and through the top part of her gums, which produced this bloody spectacle that had to have killed even the hardest of Viking boners. All right. And the rest of the convent, inspired by Abby's bravery did the exact same thing. They all cut off their noses and then split their upper lip and then cut like into their top gum. It's horrifying to imagine. Um, And you know what? It actually worked. Uh, The Vikings retreated and the monastery was saved, um, except the Vikings returned a few days later and burned it all down, killing everyone inside. Um, But you know what? They saved their virginity and that's what's the, that's the most important thing here. And that takes us out of today's story time. So there we go. Um, probably what I felt like was a very disappointing season premiere. Um, but we can atone for it next week when we do part two. Um, but first, what what could we have possibly learned from this? What did we learn? Number one, people actually think that a man had his head cut off and then walked several miles into town carrying his own severed head and preaching before he died. Um, you know, look, I grew up in a very Baptist community. Baptists generally think that Catholics are going to hell. Um, 
because they have just completely ruined Christianity. And, you know, stories like this kind of make me see what their point was. Um, still kind of disagree, um, but, you know, because I'm not that judgy. But, you know, uh, we'll see, I guess. Um, number two, um, I guess the one way to avoid getting raped by Vikings is to cut your nose off and create a bloody mess in front of them. And then they'll just come back and burn your whole life down later. Um, number three, uh, kind of kind of a new thing or something that I learned is, uh, you know, even though I am super skeptical about Edmund the Martyr's death story, uh, there is a very good chance that I am actually related to Edmund the Martyr. Um, I did some work on a family tree and uh, I went back. Um, I was able to go, I was able to actually trace it all the way back to Adam of Adam and Eve, um, through, uh, King Alfred in England, who then on his own, like, because he also wanted to do his own family history, it runs in the family. Ha! See what I did there? Um, but he traced his own lineage back. Um, you know, I was for most, and, and usually the best I could do was just get back to the start of the AD era. But, um, you know, with King Alfred, I was able to actually trace it all the way back to Adam and Eve, but not the point. Anyway, um, King Alfred, um, also related to Edmund Ironsides, which was a, another early English King Edmund Ironsides. Um, I believe if I remember correctly, Edmund the Martyr what would have been his grandfather or his great grandfather's brother. So, uh, just kind of a, kind of a crazy way that family lineage kind of worked out. Um, I don't, I don't, I, I don't honestly believe that his severed head called out to people, but, uh, Edmund the martyr probably did really exist and I may actually be related to him. Next week on Our Weird World, hopefully it will be better, um, but we'll do part two of uh, Early Christian Martyrs, and it's all women. I don't know why, that's just how it worked out, um, but we'll talk about Cecilia, Perpetua, uh, Barbara, Agatha, and Agnes. So just some sexy names and some crazy stories, as always. It's kind of the theme of this show. Um But we'll see you next week. Uh, Thank you to all of you who have been listening. Um, Give us a give give me a give me a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. That would be pretty sweet. Um, Keep telling people about it. Um, You know, I see the numbers that they're actually kind of growing. It's pretty great. So you know, uh, keep telling all your friends. Uh, Thank you for listening. I did the I did the order backwards, but that's fine. Uh, Just remember, keep it weird. (laughs) 